Welcome to another Monday night. That means it's time for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Glad to have you along this evening as we sit back on UltimateSportsTalk.com and talk about the Cincinnati Reds and the first place Cleveland Indians. Hard to believe as we're getting close to Memorial Day and the Indians are in first place. But hey, that's what's happening. And let's bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm fine, David. And uh, to all you... Indian fans out there, uh, this is the time you really enjoy baseball because you've got a good team, they're playing well, they're beating their rivals, and uh, life is good. It, it's too bad that both the Reds and the Indians are doing well, but they play each other next week for four games, and you almost hope it's a split. So they're, you know, neither team is hurt very bad by that inter, interleague rivalry, but uh, it's, a, it's a good year to be a Reds fan and an Indian fan. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, before we get into baseball, you know, it, I, I've got to get into uh, what's going on in the Midwest, Mark. Another sad day, thanks to the weather in Oklahoma. Uh, I have not been able to watch any of the updates over the last half hour, but the last that I was aware of, this tornado that, that hit in Oklahoma, they're afraid that a third-grade class, uh, all of them might be gone, at least 24 kids. And You know, Mark, I don't want to bring up some bad memories, but I know you're down in that area. Were you around when the, the tornado hit in Xenia? Yep. <clears throat> My wife and I were just talking about that a few minutes ago, and uh, she actually went to Xenia. Uh, that was in, uh, I think, 1973, I think. Um, she went to Xenia after, I think it was two days after, and she said it looked like an atomic bomb had gone off. And the latest I heard just a few minutes ago that uh, the Oklahoma... Uh, authorities are saying 37 are confirmed dead and another <clears throat> 24 to, to 50 are feared dead just because of, of the devastation in the places they know there were people. In that school you mentioned, you're right, it, it could be another 25 to 30 young kids uh, killed. And, uh, you know, a tornado, what do you do to protect yourself? There's, there's no place to run or hide. And unless you have a storm shelter in your backyard, you are at the mercy of nature, and it's it's just devastating when it, when something like that happens. And it, it makes sports seem so unimportant, and all of us get overhyped by sports and our teams and all that stuff. And something like this happens, and you realize how unimportant that is compared to even losing one kid uh, in, in a tragedy like this, let alone what could be 40 or 50. Uh, we really hopes and prayers go out to those people in Oklahoma, and you just wish you could do something. Yeah, I agree. Well, our hearts and prayers are going out to those families out in Oklahoma, and uh, you know we'll stay abreast of what's going on in that. But for right now, let's do what we're here to do, Mark, and that's talk about the Reds and the Indians. And, of course, as I said, the Indians are in first place. They've just completed a four-game sweep over the Seattle Mariners. Uh, they have won five in a row. They've won 18 of their last 22. 
They're two and a half games in front of Detroit going into tonight's action, and the flag is flying high above Terminal Tower in downtown Cleveland as the Indians win another game. This is starting to get fun. And, you know, the thing is, this is they're, they're not doing this with smoke and mirrors. I mean, number one, they're uh, okay, you're supposed to beat Seattle. You should have beat Seattle three out of four. You won four out of four. But they played some contending teams, and they've done very well against them. And that's what uh, I think is cause for excitement is because they have played uh, a, a good schedule. They've played some tough teams, and uh, they're more than holding their own. And with the pitching they have, I, I think that it's it's something that uh, Indian fans can look forward to the rest of the year. This team isn't going away. And uh, I, I frankly don't I don't think Detroit – is when you, when you have Verlander having on and off days like he is, uh, you you have a chance to catch that team down. But don't remember what don't forget what happened last year. Uh, that team was playing terrible ball until September, and they turned it on and got into the playoffs. They didn't go very far, but uh, you know Detroit is the team to beat. But I think the Indians can beat them. I I think the the Tigers' Achilles heel is their bullpen. I, I really think they've got some problems in that bullpen. I think that's one of the Indians' strengths. Now, you know, the funny thing is, Mark, and we kind of talked about this before we went on the air, the Indians have won 18 of their last 22 ball games. They right now are rivaling streaks of teams like the 75 Reds, the 84 Tigers, and the 95 Indians. Now, are they as good as those teams? Not yet. I'm not even going to profess that they are. But this streak that they're on right now is rivaling those teams and those teams, all except for the 95 Indians, won world championships. Yeah, I remember in 75, uh, there was a streak there starting in May, ending in, uh, I think, July, that the Reds were 41-9 and <laughs> in a streak. And... Uh, you know, ended up running, winning by 20, I think they won 20, by 20 games in their division. But uh, it gives you perspective. The Indians are, what, 18-4? and four? So they would have to double this, be 36-8, and eight, and still wouldn't match that 41-9 and nine streak. But that's to take nothing away because it, the thing is, obviously there's only so many games in a baseball season. And are the Indians, what, 10 games over 500 now? They are going in, uh, after today's win, they're 26 and 17, so they're nine games. Okay, nine over. I know it was nine or ten. And, you know, you get that many games over 500, and it's not that you can't have a losing season. Obviously, you can, but you get up to 15, 16, 17 games over 500, and it's in June. Well, you're almost assured of a winning season because you're not going to fall apart that much. And if, if you have a, if you, the old theory is if you get to 500 and it's July or even August and you go on a, a seven, eight, nine game winning streak, you have a chance to win a division. So uh, the, the Indies are in a great spot right now. I don't know their schedule for the rest of the year, but no matter what it is, they have, they have a good pitching staff. They have a good bullpen. Uh, they've got some timely hitting. I, I know as of last week, they were leading the league in home runs. I don't know where they are now. But uh, that that's a team that is getting a reputation that you don't want to play the Indians. 
Well, if you'd like to talk to us tonight, of course, we've got our Ask Us segment coming up. And, Mark, we've got some tremendous questions tonight on our Ask Us segment. But you can also reach us on the social media at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or ask us at ultimatesportstalk.com. Or you can send us a tweet. That's at OHBB co-host. OHBB co-host. You can reach us that way. Mark, Johnny Cueto, back in the lineup. He's back in the starting rotation. He started tonight. How's he doing? How's he looking? Well, he's actually looking pretty good. He made one bad pitch and gave up a three-run home run. Uh, but aside from that, uh, his control's been good. Uh, he's keeping the ball down. Uh, I did. It, it was interesting yesterday. They talked about his injury, and of course, this was the injury that he had last year in the playoffs. And the training staff is saying that it might be because of that Louis Tiant type windup he has, where he turns around, almost twists towards second base before he delivers the pitch, that it's putting a lot of torque on his lats and on his rib cage. And uh, they said if, if this injury continues, they're going to they're gonna tinker with his, his delivery so he doesn't have that twisting, that powerful twisting motion. I, I was always worried about his knee doing that because he, he really turns around and, and, and faces second base and then flips the ball uh, violently toward the plate. So it doesn't surprise me that they're thinking about changing his motion. Is that something that he can do in midseason? Well, that's the problem. He's not trying it yet just because of that. They don't want to try and change his delivery during the middle of the year. But if maybe you don't recall, but his, his uh, I think it was two years ago that he changed his motion and he ended up winning 19 games. So people are uh, saying that motion adds to the deception of his, his delivery, but it also puts a heck of a lot of torque on your body. I mean, I, I was just playing around the other day trying to do that. Now, I'm an old man, but I, I imagine that you do that enough times. You twist like that, and you're delivering several thousand pitches a year. Uh, that, that can have a real impact on your, your rib cage and your, and your lats and your, even your, your butt, you know, down there where you're twisting on your hips. So hopefully it's, it's nothing that uh, is going to be a problem for him, but he's... Uh, uh, it's great to have him back in the rotation, which leads into, of course, uh, Tony Singrani and the fact that the Reds optioned him out. And uh, what are they going to do with Singrani? You and I were talking about this before the show. Well, that's an interesting question. But getting back to that old man comment, you notice I didn't debate you on that. Yeah, thanks very much for sticking up for me, pal. I, I thought I would, yeah. No no problem. But, yeah, Singrani gets sent down. I, I found that um, I expected it. But it was still surprising when it happened. Did they explain why? Yeah, they they want him to work. You know, he never got lit up this year. I mean, he, I I don't know what his ERA was in the in the low threes or the high twos. He didn't lose. Uh, he did give up more home runs than he should have. And the reason is he's uh, he's a one pitch pitcher. Seventy five, seventy six percent of his pitches are fastballs. And I don't care who you are, uh, you throw enough fastballs, and a major league hitter is going to catch up with it. So he just needs, you know, one more pitch, and I hope they work on a changeup with him. Uh, he, he's got a decent uh, curveball. Uh, he, I didn't like his slider. I, I think he, it, it, it was spinning so much up there. I don't know what they're going to add, but if you're going to be a successful pitcher in the major leagues, you need at least three pitches to be a starting pitcher. You need at least three pitches. Uh, you can't get by with a fastball. 
and it's almost you know the the fastball becomes not a complimentary pitch, but your, your out pitch can be your slider and it can be your changeup. When they know you can throw 93, 94, 95, uh, you find out that the other pitches become your out pitch. Well, and, and that's what they'll have him work on now. Is that something? It, it is he still in their plans for this season? I mean, if Cueto would go down or somebody else would go down, obviously he probably would be the first one to come back up. Oh, of course, and, and you know, I think in a, in a with a with a regular rotation. I mean, there was a time uh, three or four years ago, Tony Singrani would be their number three pitcher right now, and he would be pitching in the big leagues. But uh, the Reds have the luxury of, a, of an outstanding starting staff. And uh, to be able to, to send him down to Louisville, let him work on a breaking ball, uh, and his control is, is, is he has good control, uh, but he's got a control in the zone. And it's not just throwing the ball over the plate. You've got over the strike zone, and that's where a lot of pitchers make a mistake. Even if they're known for good control, where they don't walk a lot of guys, they're wild in the strike zone. And that can be dangerous to major league hit, with a major league hitter up there. Because if you want to throw a pitch on the outside corner and you're you're off by three inches and it comes in over the middle of the plate, those guys will hammer you. I don't care if you're throwing 95. So that's where they have to work on Singrani, his control in the zone. But no, make no mistake, uh, this kid has one of the best arms in baseball, and the Reds, uh, I mean, it's unlikely, in my opinion, they're going to sign a Royal next year. But, boy, he, he, he can step right into that number four or number five role next year and, and be a real contributor for the Reds. Mark, I had the, uh, I don't get to watch the Reds as much as you do. Obviously, you don't get to watch the Indians as much as I do. But over the last few days, I've gotten the opportunity to see the Reds a couple of times. And just accumulating what I have seen, I think it's about time that they really give some serious thought about going out and finding themselves a bat somebody that can play the outfield, either a center fielder or a left fielder or even uh, a third baseman. What are your thoughts? Are they about ready to bite the bullet? Any any talk about that? Well, there's a lot of talk about it, but it's not talk from the right people. Uh, I think all the fans, the press, uh, the media, uh, they all recognize. I mean, the Reds got beat yesterday 3-2. to two. Uh, They should have scored seven or eight runs yesterday. And they're, they – they score a lot of runs. They'll score in bunches. They scored 10 runs on Saturday. But I'd like to see statistics because this team, uh, it's remarkable how many times they'll score two runs in a game. And you will not win a lot of Major League Baseball games scoring two runs a game. And uh, it's because they're so inconsistent. You can't rely on Joey Votto, who, by the way, had one of the most remarkable series in recent memory. On Saturday, he, he was on base six times in six plate appearances. And that followed a home run his last time up on Friday night. So he was on base seven times with two home runs. I think he had two doubles, three singles, and two walks. So it's just an incredible, incredible performance by Vado. But you can't rely on him every every time through the lineup. And I told you before, my, my biggest concern about the Reds is not really left field. It's third base. Todd Frazier, in my opinion... Is he is so overmatched right now in his facing, particularly right-hand pitchers. It's unbelievable the holes in this kid's swing. 
And I don't know if it's something you can fix by sending him down to AAA. Uh, but, you know, he, he had a couple hits on Saturday and Sunday to bring his batting average up to about 225. But this kid, uh, he, he, he has a loopy swing. He's slow to the ball. And I'm afraid the Reds have to do something, as you say, either in left field or third base, because those are two major holes they have right now. Well, that sounds like the same problem the Indians had a few weeks ago when they sent Lonnie Chisenhall, their third baseman, down to the minor leagues. He was the only guy in the lineup that really wasn't hitting. His swing was long. He had a loop in it, and he wasn't able to make any contact, and they just thought it would be a good idea for him to go down and get some at-bats. So maybe that would, like you said, maybe that would be the right idea for them to do with Frazier, get his confidence back up. Because, you know, when I saw him, Mark, their, their top four batters, Three of those four are unparalleled almost through the entire Major League Baseball scene. But, boy, once you get past number five in that batting order, there's just nothing that scares you on the Reds lineup. No, nothing. And it's and it's mainly because, well, first of all, you have a shortstop that's hitting 210 or 215. you got a third baseman hitting 225. Uh, you have Hannigan hitting 175, although he's coming back. But then you you depend on your left fielder, and there's nobody out there that, that that's doing anything of note. And the, the Reds have so many guaranteed outs in their lineup that they're easily pitched to, which is why they are limited to two or three runs many, many, many times. Now, can they break out like they did on Saturday and score 10 or 12 runs? Yeah, they can, but it's very inconsistent. And with this starting pitching, I... I the Cardinals, perhaps, you could argue, are better than the Reds' starting five, but I don't think there's many teams out there that have the starting rotation the Reds have. And it would be an absolute tragedy not to take advantage of that by having going out and getting somebody who can hit 275. You're not talking about you know getting somebody hitting 350. Just get on base, make contact, and the Reds don't have that. Well, and the question is, how much do you want to disrupt the starting rotation, Mark? Because, like you said, Arroyo is in the last year of his contract. Probably nobody is going to want to pick him up unless it's a, a, a contending team. And why would the Reds want to trade him to a especially contending team in the National League? They might do it in the American League, but probably not in the National League come trade deadline. But then you look at some other uh, players. Do you want to give up a Mike Leake? Do you want to give up somebody like that to, to get yourself a hitter? I don't think you have to. I think the Reds have enough talent in the minor leagues. They had this kid, Soto, who was up for a couple of days this week. A great power hitter, a great potential. Don't forget Billy Hamilton. He's off to a slow start this year, although he's coming back. He's, he's raised his average quite a bit. And, you know, the, the, the problem is the Reds, if you, some of these minor leaguers who have a lot of potential, if they play too long, their value begins to diminish. And they, if the Reds were to have traded Hamilton last year, I wonder what they could have gotten. But this year, they have to have a bat. And I, I think he's too monodimensional, I guess would be the term, uh, that they could get something for Hamilton. They could get a bat because there are teams in the, in the National League and the American League that would like to have speed like that. But the Reds have enough depth in their rotation in the minor leagues, I mean, you have this Robert Stevenson. He's a double-A Dayton. I, I know he'd get some attention. But you don't want to have a year like this pass you by. 
And, you know, I, I look at the Indians. If the Indians, a, a month from today, are where they are in the standings, and now let's say they're 14, 15, 16 games over 500, it changes the dynamic of how you run that organization. Because now you're in it to win it. I'm not sure the Indians are there quite yet, but in a month or so they're going to be. And now you start looking to be a buyer. So if the Indians have a hole somewhere, that the organization is going to say, you know what, we got a chance to win this thing. Let's go out and get whatever we need, whether it's a hitter, a pitcher, a relief pitcher, whatever it might be. As opposed to you're playing 500 in June and yeah, or in July, and you know it's not worth messing up your organization to try and win. But the Indians are creeping up on that spot in a month where I think after what they did in the offseason, I don't think this team or this organization is going to be afraid to go out and get what they need to come trade deadline. Well, and, and I agree with you, that, but I'm going to say something that you may think is going to be nuts, but hey, what the heck, I've said other things that everybody thinks are nuts too. So right now the way this team is constituted, I don't know what they'd go out and get. I'm happy with their pitching. I'm happy with their hitting. I'm happy with their defense. I think they've got enough guys on this team bench-wise that they can plug into spots that they don't need to go out right now. Now, something may, something may change, obviously. In the next month, a lot could happen. But the way this team is constituted right now, I've got no problems going through the rest of the season with this team the way it's set up. Well, that's a great position to be in. But on the other hand, uh, if you have then to make the decision, okay, we're going to make the playoffs. Now, how deeply do we want to go in the playoffs? And that's where those decisions about personnel can, again, crop up. I think the Reds, in their case this year, I think the Reds have a feeling they can win the World Series. So with that in mind, you are willing to take more chances to, to go out and get that extra bat or two that you might need than you would if a team is going to limp into the playoffs and you know they're not going to be able to compete against the Detroits or uh, St. Louis or whomever it might be. But uh, the Reds have a chance to win it all. Now, I don't know if the Indians do, but the Indians do have a chance to get to the playoffs, especially with two wildcard American League teams to be picked. So it's a different dynamic, and what that does, it, it, it makes more teams competitive for the small amount of players that might be available. So it, it's typically it's in a team's best interest in that situation to make a move early so you're not you know at, at, at last one at the table having to give up a ton to get what you need. Well, see, that's a problem that the Indians have also. They don't have a lot in the minor league system that they can give up. Um, now, the one area that I think I do have a little bit of a concern right now is Chris Perez's closer. He blew Saturday's save opportunity, and he blew an opportunity this afternoon in a 6-6 ball game, came in in the top of the ninth and gave up a home run that gave Seattle a short-lived 7-6 lead. But Perez in spring training had a shoulder problem. He had a little shoulder irritation and there's a lot of people out there that think maybe that shoulder is still bothering him. His his velocity, Mark, when he came to the Indians back in 2009 and 2010, he was throwing 96, 97 miles an hour. His velocity has gone down in the last couple of years to 92 and 93. The only reason that I could think of for velocity to go down 
four to five miles per hour in just a couple of years is if you've got an arm problem, especially in a 27-year-old, and I think that's what he's got. Well, you know, the Reds are, are suffering the same fate with uh, a role as Chapman. The last two times out, he's blown two saves. He gets rocked yesterday. The Reds had a three, two to nothing lead in the eighth. They gave up a run in the eighth, and then back-to-back home runs in the ninth, and the Phillies come back and win it. And in Chapman's case, it, not unlike uh, Sin Grunny, uh, Chapman lives and dies by that fastball, and if they lay off the fastball, uh, he, he cannot – throw enough strikes that uh, uh, he, he's going to get people out on a consistent basis. And so they wait for the fastball, knowing he doesn't throw that slider very often. He, he Yesterday he threw one breaking pitch. So the, the, the hitters are just teeing off on the fastball. And, and again, uh, I don't know if, if that's the case with Perez, but I wish that Chapman would throw more fastballs in the 91-92 area as a, either as a cutter or, or something to give a, the hitter a different look because he's going to continue to get ripped if he doesn't come up with another pitch. Yeah, I've got to ask you this question. This came up on the Major League Baseball Network this weekend, and, and I thought it was an interesting conversation. I'm going to ask your opinion on it. Dusty Baker right now is the second winningest active manager in baseball. He has not won a world championship. Is he right now a Hall of Fame manager? Oh, without question. Without question. I don't think you look at World Series championships as the measure of, of a manager's skill. Um, and there's so many variables and so many things can happen. I mean, I, I think that isn't Gene Bach in the, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame and he never won a World Series and there's a lot of managers that haven't, and even some of the managers who have won World Series championships are not considered outstanding managers. They just had great teams. And so I don't think that is going to hinder him. He's won over 1,600 games now. And I think before he's done, he'll probably win one, but I don't think that would detract from his... I mean, if he manages another uh, three or four years, he could win... Uh, 2,000 ball games, and not many managers have done that. Well, another question I had for you, and I'm not sure many people noticed it, but Saturday in the last three innings of the ball game, the toothpick was gone. Dusty was chewing on gum. What happened to the toothpick? I don't know. I didn't notice that. David, I'm impressed by your attention to detail. I, I did not notice that. <laughs> it, it was absolutely gone in the last three innings, and I... I I about fell off my chair. I'll tell you another thing, too, Mark. It is a pleasure to listen to Tom Brenneman do a baseball game compared to Beavis and Butthead that we have to listen to up here. <laughs> uh, it is just an absolute professional pleasure to listen to Tom Brenneman do a ball game. Yeah, he and his dad have uh, become, uh, I think, the two best announcers. I mean, I, I don't know better announcers out there right now. Uh, I, I think the Orioles or the uh, Giants announcer, what's his name? Um, John Miller. John Miller. He's my favorite announcer. I, I think he just calls a great game, and he never loses his enthusiasm. Um, so the, I think the Brennemans uh, here in the Midwest, at least, have a have, have a pretty high reputation uh, and profile as, as announcers. Yeah, they, they they do an outstanding job. I love Tom Hamilton as the Indians radio announcer. But, 
Matt Underwood and and uh, uh, Rick Manning on on the TV are boy. Anyway, well, we we won't get into that. Hey, here's another conversation that they had on Major League Baseball, and this has to do with Brandon Phillips. Right now, in today's game, who's a better second baseman, Brandon Phillips or Robinson Cano? Well, I think defensively, there's no, there's not even close. I think uh, Brandon Phillips is a far better second baseman. Now, uh, Cano can make some outstanding plays, but I don't think he's nearly as quick as, as Brandon is. Uh, offensively, I, I think Cano would, would get the edge, just statistically, looking back at what he's done the last four or five years. But Brandon's not far off. The thing that's it's surprising about Brandon Phillips is that he's not stealing any bases. And it wasn't that long ago he was a 30-30 guy. And he's been 20-20 many years, and he doesn't have a stolen base this year. So I don't know what that means, but, you know, it, it he's such a fantastic second baseman. The idea of moving him, you know, doesn't make a lot of sense today. But it would not surprise me that in two or three years, you know, he's, he's got a six-year contract, that I think he would be a great third baseman. <laughs> I think he'd be unbelievable at third because he's got a, he's got a cannon for an arm. And when he loses that lateral mobility and that quickness at second base, I'd love to see them put him over at third. And it, it's not that it's easy to find a second baseman, but there are a lot of middle infielders out there. Not that can hit like him, but uh, he's got third base pop. And uh, I, I tell you, I'd much rather see him at third than, than Todd Frazier. Well, and you and I discussed that last year simply from the standpoint about Didi Gregorius, who, by the way, Mark, he's playing outstanding baseball for Arizona. And, uh, you know, we talked about them bringing up Gregorius, putting him at short, and maybe Cozart, when he was hitting last year, going to second base and Phillips moving to third. Or just put uh, Cozart at third, uh, you know, and leave leave Brandon where he is. Uh, yeah, that, that, that trade, Chew is, you know, the Reds went all in with him, and they gave up my, one of my favorite minor leaguers was Gregorius. I thought he could be an outstanding, outstanding shortstop. And he's proven so far that he is. He, he's hitting and he's, he's feeling and he can run. Uh, I, I would have rather given up Cozart any day than Gregorius. But, uh, you know, you make the decision and you live with it. But and, and in fairness, you really can't value and judge these trades in one year. It's going to take three or four or five years to determine did you make the right deal or not. So it, the, the jury's still out on that, but... I'm a big fan of Gregorius. Hey, we're about halfway through tonight's show, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell with Mark Donahue, and we're going to be back and talk about a very interesting subject, Drew Stubbs. We're going to do that right after this timeout. Disturbing news in baseball. Former Cincinnati Rookie of the Year and three-time Most Valuable Player Dylan Michael has been charged with possession of a controlled substance and failure to pay federal taxes. Michael, 26, claimed today the medication he was taking was to treat severe back pain and was prescribed by his doctor. He had no comment regarding the tax allegations. Last at Bat, a novel by Mark Donahue, available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can also pick up Mark's book, Last at Bat, here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. It's up in the right-hand corner of your screen. Just go ahead and click on it and order a copy of his book. Well, Mark, you know, 
Drew Stubbs was one of the key ingredients in that D. D. Gregorius trade back in January. Now, he is leading the Indians with 46 strikeouts and 11 walks. But the guy's hitting 250. He came up with a key play in Saturday afternoon's ball game where he was picked off first in the 10th inning and ended up just taking off for second base and, and was safe. Uh, Michael Bourne then immediately after him got a swinging bunt, and that led to Jason Kipnis hitting the three-run homer for the Indians' win. But i got to tell you, I'm, I'm happy with Drew Stubbs. Uh, for right now, the way he's playing baseball and the way that he's played defensively and, and what he's doing at the plate, you and I talked before the season began. If I can get 250 out of Drew Stubbs, which is where he's at right now, I'll take it, and that's where he's at, and I'm happy with the guy. I don't blame you for being happy with the guy, and I hope he stays there all year. If I had to bet the house, he won't. Uh, I, I think the pitchers in the American League are going to, you know, catch on to him. And that ratio you just mentioned, that's awful. 46 strikeouts and 11 walks, that's precisely what you don't want from from a guy who should be leading off. I mean, by any on in a perfect world with his speed, uh, you want that guy leading off, but not with 46 strikeouts. And okay, that, but let me let me let me just interrupt here real quick because here's two other stats. You bring that up. As Drubal Cabrera, 39 strikeouts, 12 walks. Mark Reynolds, 45 strikeouts, 20 walks. Nick Swisher, 35 strikeouts, but he's got 23 walks. And Jason Kipnis, your number two hitter, 37 strikeouts and 15 walks. Well, again, if, if you if you measure your need and you're okay and, and your lineup can support a guy striking out 200 times, and that's what he'll do this year, close to it, then that's fine. But it, it, that is a guy who strikes out that often is going to hit eighth or ninth. He has to. And with my point with Drew Stubbs is with the talent he has, the physical physical ability he has, it's so frustrating to see a guy with that kind of uh, result from the at-bats he has. That means he's striking out in 600 plate appearances a third of the time. And that's that's just unbelievable. But if he hits 250, you're right. You, you live with it. But my, my prediction is he's going to hit 210. And I hope I'm wrong because I really like him. He, he's a good kid. And the Reds miss him defensively. Uh, I don't think they would be any better off this year if they had him. In fact, I think they'd be worse. But they do miss him defensively because he's, he's a gazelle out there. Well, it's time for our Ask Us segment. You can reach us every week for our Ask Us segment simply by just sending us a tweet. Or you can also send us your questions for Mark and I to ask us, A-S-K-U-S, ask us at ultimatesportstalk.com. Dot com. Let's go right to the questions this week, Mark. And like I said, we have got some good ones. We've already brought up uh, one question this week. We are already alluded to this trade made by the Diamondbacks, the Reds, and the Indians. And Jimmy wants to know our opinion at this point in time, which team has made out better in that trade, the Diamondbacks, the Reds, or the Indians? Well, in my opinion, the Reds. Uh, I think they've gotten more than they expected from Chew, and again, this is a team that was put together this year to win the World Series. And if he had come in and hit 225 
and had an on-base percentage of, of, of 300, that would have been a horrible trade. But he is producing, and I, and I think if I had to measure in order, maybe you might disagree with this, but I think the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, I'm sure they're happy with that trade, and I'm sure the Indians are happy with the trade. So to me, this has worked out for everybody, and that's what you want a trade to do. Well, I would agree with you right now. I think that the Reds have gotten the better part of this deal just simply because they got what they needed. They got Chu, they needed a leadoff man, and that's where he's at, and he's playing outstanding for them right now. I think the Diamondbacks got what they wanted. They needed an everyday shortstop, and they got it in D.D. Gregorius, and they were willing to give up their number one pick two years ago, Trevor Bauer, to get him. On the other side of the coin, I think the Indians also got what they wanted. They got Drew Stubbs, who was supposed to be the key part of that trade, along with Trevor Bauer, but the signing of Michael Bourne made Drew Stubbs almost an afterthought in this trade now, and Trevor Bauer the main piece. And the Indians have brought him up three times. Hey, he's one and one, and Bauer's done a pretty good job. Every time he comes up and makes a spot start for the Indians, he does better each time. I think all three teams, Mark, right now, Got what they wanted out of the deal, but if I had to say who got the better of it right now, I'd have to agree with you and say the Reds did. It's a long season. We'll see what happens. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Here's one. Frankie asks us, would the Reds consider using Araldus Chapman as the setup or middle reliever? He thinks he's being wasted in the closer's role and doesn't have the killer instinct to do it full time. He thinks you could stick anyone in that closer's role and get the same result for the Reds. What do you think? Well, right now the result they're getting is not very good uh, from Chapman, and I, I don't know who else you'd put in that closer role. The thing I don't understand is it used to be that the bullpen was used on a mix-and-match basis, that the closer was not designated for the ninth inning. I mean, there are times in the seventh inning, let's say it's the seventh inning, and the bases are loading, loaded, you're up by one run, and you have a left-hand hitter coming to the plate. Now, why wouldn't you bring in your best left-hander, that being Chapman, and try to get that guy out? That's what they used to do. But now they, they reserve these innings for the particular pitcher. Right now, Marshall is the seventh for the Reds, Broxton is the eighth, and Chapman is the ninth. But to me, that doesn't make any sense. If you're going to have three left-handers coming up in the ninth inning, that's fine. Bring Chapman in. But what if it's three right-handers? And you, you you can see in advance who's going to be coming up. Wouldn't you want to bring in Broxton and then let Chapman pitch in the eighth inning perhaps against a couple left-handers? They, I don't know why they don't do that. And it, it's, it doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, that's the, the change in baseball over the last 20, 15, 20 years. Yeah, I, I don't think moving Chapman out of the closer's role is a good maneuver, but I agree with what you're saying. There are times in the eighth inning or even the seventh inning where the game is on the line and it has to be has to be saved at that point in time, and that's the time to bring him in. So I agree with you on that. We've also got another question here. Bradley wants to know who the biggest disappointment is on the Indians this season. His vote goes to his Drupal Cabrera. What is with him? Mark? Bradley's got a point. Yeah, he does. Drupal Cabrera. 
isn't that mainly offensively? I mean, the games I've seen the Indians play, he, he is no less uh, defensively than he was. And, um, yeah, I, I think, again, his role with the Indians uh, is to play as good a shortstop as he can play. And you saw something I haven't seen. He's done a pretty good job defensively this year. It's just the offense, and it's again, it's it's early in the season, so I wouldn't give up on him. No, I'm not no. going to give up on him, and neither is Francona. He he's got a history of being patient with players, but the thing that I don't like about Cabrera is batting third. That that has bothered me ever since they've tried that. He's not a good on base percentage hitter, and what I mean is uh, uh, with runners in scoring position, he doesn't hit the ball well enough to be batting third. Now, I think Michael Brantley ought to be the number three hitter for the Indians. But, hey, when you've won 18 of your last 22, why do you complain about little things like that? But, yeah, I would say that as Drupal Cabrera has been my disappointment for the Indians so far this year, him and Brett Myers. I expected a little bit more out of Brett Myers, but Myers is expected to come back this weekend against Boston. We'll see what, what happens with him. Jason asks us this question about the Reds. Since they won't be able to sign Chu next year, what's their next move going to be for next season? Finally bringing up Hamilton or find a solution somewhere else, Mark? Well, they're going to have to play it out with Hamilton. Uh, he's, he's got a lot of uh, potential for the Reds, and it's <laughs> that they've invested so much of their time and reputation in this guy that the Reds have to bring Hamilton up and find out what he can do. But you're not going to replace Chu, but I'm not convinced. Everyone says because of Scott Boris representing Chu that uh, the Reds aren't going to sign him. I'm not convinced of that. Uh, the last couple of years have proven to me that some of these guys, and Michael Bourne being a perfect example, uh, everybody expected him to be signed early on in, this, in the uh, off season, and he wasn't signed until one in late March. And there were three or four players like that, two, two or three of whom, were represented by Scott Boris. So what may be happening is these these owners are saying, you know what, Scott, go ahead, sit there with your with Mr. Chu, and not let him have a job until the end of the year, and, and see how you like that. So Chu made a comment I thought was very telling this week about how much he enjoyed playing in Cincinnati, and the people were so nice to him, and he loves his teammates, and he wants to be with a winner. He was giving every indication to me that he wants to stay with the Reds, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the Reds signed him to a two- or three-year deal. And he probably gets a fair shake from the media. I mean, the media continues to clobber him up here about how terrible a center fielder he is. I, I don't think he's all that bad, but, hey, what what the heck. Here's another question for us, Mark. J.J. Uh, Huggs asks us tonight, here's a good debate. Is the American League Central... Or the National League Central better? Well, I'm prejudiced. I think the National League Central, top to bottom, is <laughs> one of the best divisions in baseball. And I, and I could, you know, these teams, you, it's conceivable you could have three teams from the Central of the National League go to the playoffs. The Reds, the Cardinals, and the Pirates, because they're all playing great ball. And, uh, you know, in Milwaukee's in last place right now, but that's... Yeah, I saw them. The Reds swept them. That's a pretty good team. So I, I don't think there's a lot of divisions out there better than the Central and the National League. How do you rate the uh, American League Central? Well, I think the American League Central is a lot better than 
some people think. I mean, first of all, you've got you, you mentioned Milwaukee being the last place club. You in the National League Central, we've got the Chicago White Sox who are in last place right now. And at last look, let me take a look at this right now. Uh, they're tied with Minnesota for last place, but they're only six and a half games out. Kansas City is at 500. You know, Kansas City to me is a big disappointment. Everybody seems to think year after year that Kansas City is going to contend, and they never do. And here they are again in another swoon. Uh, they've they've lost three in a row, and they just can't seem to to win. They've lost three in a row. They've lost three of their last ten. I think if I was really pushed to the gamut, Mark, I would say probably the National League Central is the better uh, division. But I'll tell you what, trying to figure out who the best team is between St. Louis and Detroit would be a toss-up. Well, I think St. Louis, with their pitching staff, I think they're a better, better all-around team than than Detroit. The problem with St. Louis is their bullpen. But you mentioned Detroit's got a weak bullpen too. So, uh, you know, it's that's why you play 162 games. These all these speculative questions get answered by the end of the year. But if right now, I think the division the Reds are in is is the toughest division in baseball right now. But that can change quickly. You know, you could have the Pirates going to swoon or the Reds going to swoon, whatever. So right now, I'm going to stick with the uh, with the Reds and, and the Central. We've got four more questions, Mark. Here's here's one from Guys90. I'm going to let you go ahead and answer this one because I'm a little prejudiced. Do you think the Indians have a real shot at winning the division? Oh, yeah, that question. And, uh, again, I try to look at these things objectively and, you look around at who they have to beat out uh, to make the playoffs, and, and let's let's just default to the, the fact that they just have to be one of the wild card teams, which is not a bad deal because over the last several years there have been two or three teams that have gone from the wild card to win the World Series. But if you look around the landscape of who they have to beat out just to get the wild card, uh, they got to beat out Oakland, and they just had a, a, a very successful season or a series against Oakland. Uh, they have to beat out uh, Boston, and Boston is ten games over right now. So there's there's no and Oakland's only one game over. So there's no team out there in the other divisions that is going to run away and hide from them. So yeah, do they have a chance to win? Yeah, and it's a legitimate chance. It's not uh, again based on smoke and mirrors. They have an outstanding starting rotation, and if they can if they can score enough runs. Uh, and that sounds silly with all the home runs they hit, but we talked before about their strikeouts, and I, I think that that lineup, you can pitch to that lineup, and that's what concerns me about the Indians. Uh, they don't have a lot of high on base guys, but in answer to the question, yeah, I think the Indians are legit, and I think they're going to be in the the hunt in September, and that's all you can ask. You know, you get your team capable of winning in September. They have a chance. They're, they're a game ahead or a game behind, but they're in the hunt. That makes for a very exciting September. Hey, if they're in the if they're in the pennant chase in September, they pay for Swisher and Borden's contract right there. Dragonfly forty or Dragon forty. I'm sorry, DIY Dragon forty DIY asks us, who would we rather have as manager, Terry Francona or Dusty Baker? I'd take either one of them. And I think it would depend, uh, you know, they, they both, 
you know, Francona has won two World Series, so you know that's that's certainly in in his chart. But uh, you know, the Reds, uh, I think, are, are well suited to have Dusty Baker, and uh, I think the Indians are are, are well suited to have Francona now, because you know I think Francona can take them to the next level, and that's what you needed. And I, I respect what the Indians did. You and I talked about the fact that when they went out and got him, to me. That was more important than getting Michael Bourne or Drew Stubbs. That that said to me, these guys, they're serious. They want to win. That's what it said to me too. And I, and I was, you know, you remember, I was completely shocked. I didn't think there was any chance they would get Terry Francona as manager, and they did. And they paid for him, and they paid for Bourne, and they paid for Swisher, and they paid for Myers, and they paid for Reynolds. And and I said all last year and the previous year that, you know, the Indians were going to have to spend some money and prove to the, the fans in this town that they were in it to win it, and, and I really believe that they are. And I think the first stepping stone to that, Mark, was the hiring of Terry Francona. And the funny thing about it, and it brings up a story that I want to relay before we get into our last couple questions here, Mark, Manny Acta is an ESPN analyst. And he made the comment the other day on ESPN that his wife asked him, how come you didn't have these players when you managed in Cleveland? <laughs> and what was his answer? He didn't say a word. <laughs> he, he just left it go. Um, I, I really don't think Manny Acta is happy right now over what has happened in Cleveland, but I think the city of Cleveland has to thank Manny Acta because he, he along with the Dolans, took the Indians to the depths of despair last winter. And if it wasn't for that, they wouldn't have found that they needed to go out and get these players to get the fan base back in. So I guess I'm thanking Manny Acta for doing that. Well, maybe Two more questions, Mark. Go ahead. One more point about uh, Manny Acta. It could be that the ownership did not have faith in Manny Acta to go out there and risk some high-priced talent, fearing that he couldn't lead them even if he had them. And, you know, that when they decided to bring in Terry Francona, uh, to me, that's again, that, that meant they, they were going to win, and then they felt comfortable uh, in going out and getting the talent that matched the ability of the manager. Amen. I agree with that totally. I, I, I absolutely do. I think he, the only reason he got the job, Mark, was because he accepted the amount of money that the Indians were willing to pay for a manager at that time. That's the only reason he got the job. That and Bobby Valentine had no idea who was in the minor leagues for the Indians. So that, that was another reason. Hey, Daniel sends in this question, Mark. He says he's not a fan of the Indians or the Reds, but he loves listening to the show. Thanks, Dan. In our opinion... What is the one thing the Reds have to do and the one thing the Indians have to do in order to make the playoffs this year? And he says a miracle is not a good answer. Go ahead. I think what the Indians need to do is just keep playing the way that they are. Now, do I think they need to go out and get a get a another ball player? Right now, no, I don't think they do. But I think the one thing, if I'm if I'm pinned to the wall, I think they've got to straighten out their closer situation. Chris Perez has got to come clean. If he's got a shoulder problem, they need to get it taken care of right away because we can't go throughout the year without a closer. Right now they're playing a lot of blowout games, 
and and the close games they're they're managing to win. That's great, uh, but we need a closer. Mark, what about the Reds? Well, I think we said it before. The Reds on the pitching side, I think, are where they ought to be. Uh, that that team, if Joey Votto goes down this year, if he's if he if he's out, uh, there's nobody there to pick up the slack. Uh, that team offensively would be scary. And you know, Jay Bruce just struck out with the bases loaded. Uh, yeah, he had a home run earlier, but he is so inconsistent. And you go up and down that lineup, the Reds need, as you said earlier tonight, the Reds need another bat or two if they're going to win the World Series. Now, can they make the playoffs the way they are? Maybe. It's going to be tight. But uh, if you're going to win a World Series, you cannot do it with that lineup. Well, you know, in our interview with Johnny Bench last week, you remember what he said about Jay Bruce? He's got a hole in his swing. He's got more than one. And that's no. that's the problem with a lot of the Reds. I mean, Zach Cozart and, and Todd Frazier, uh, whoever's in left field, and Jay Bruce and, and even Ryan Hannigan, you know, he's just not an offensive force. He's a great catcher. But you only have, you know, Chu and, and Votto and, and Brandon Phillips. That's it. And, uh, you know, those guys are playing out of their minds. But if one of those guys goes down, uh, this team is in deep trouble. Well, our final question on the Ask Us segment tonight comes from no name. There was no name given for this one. And this one has nothing to do with the Reds or the Indians. It has to do with the city of Los Angeles. The question is, who gets fired first, Mike Sosha, Don Mattingly, or Mike D'Antoni? <laughs> That's a pretty good question. Um, I, I think that, that, that Mike Sosha is on the hottest because this is the second year in a row. I mean, the the Angels last year were odds-on favorites to win the World Series last year with the with the team they had, signing Pujols and everybody that they signed. And now, last time I looked, they were 11 games out of first place. And I just don't, with the pitching staff they have, I just don't see this team coming back. And so Mike Sosha is bearing the brunt of what have been some colossal failures. I mean, Josh Hamilton is just an enigma. I mean, well, how can that happen to a guy like that with that talent hitting 210? And uh, it's you don't know if it's a medical thing, a psychological thing. What could go wrong with somebody with that amazing ability? And it, it certainly has uh, is wrecked that season so far for the Angels. But who do you think? You know what I I found interesting, Mark, was on my Thursday night show, I talked with a blogger on the Washington Nationals, and one of the questions I asked him was, is there any thoughts on who's going to replace Davey Johnson next year on this team? And the first thing that he came out of his mouth is, if Mike Sosha is available, he's the number one candidate. Well, down here in Cincinnati, there was an article, and I don't it was by a blogger. I think it was a, a Los Angeles blogger saying that if Mattingly goes, that Dusty Baker is the guy to go, and, and he is going to face the, uh, not face, he's going to become the uh, manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Which, you know, there, there's some symmetry to that. You know, he obviously played for the Dodgers at one time, and uh, he's a California kid <laughs> growing up. Uh, and that wouldn't surprise me, Dusty Baker going to the Dodgers. So and Don Mattingly is is not a household name out there. So uh, the Dodgers are, are a, a team that's very disappointing too. Well, and, and you know, Mark, 
I would think, okay, Dusty Baker would be a leading candidate, but another leading candidate for the Dodgers would be Sosha. But the the problem with that is he's moving from one L.A. team to another L.A. team. So that yeah. that's not going to work either. Yeah, I don't think that that he would do that other than for family reasons. He wants to stay in the L.A. area. But, you know, you have the same press there covering him. So, you know, you're not escaping the problems that uh, that you run into with the press there. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. These guys are great managers, and I think at some point it becomes a personal issue of where do you want to live. And I could see Dusty Baker becoming very interested in the Dodger job if it became available or the Angels job. Uh, and I, to some extent, I would wish him well. Uh, the guy I think would be a great manager for the Reds is their pitching coach, Brian Price. And I hope the Reds don't lose him. I know he, he garnered a lot of interest this year in the offseason from a couple teams. And uh, if Dusty were to go, I'd love to see Brian Price step into that role. Well, my answer to it, I think Mike Sosha is gone. He got the kiss of death from the owner last week when he got the vote of confidence. I think Don Mattingly could be gone by the end of this week, but I think Sosha is still going to go first. And uh, Mike D'Antoni will be gone sometime here pretty soon, too. So I think they're going to be looking for three managers and, or two managers and a coach. Hey, that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment. Don't forget you can send in your questions every week to ask us at ultimatesportstalk.com. Thanks for everybody who sent in questions this week. Mark, uh, well, we've got one first-place team. We've got a second-place team. You know, you mentioned Pittsburgh. i got to tell you, I don't think Pittsburgh's for real. Uh, they've done this for the last couple of years where they've played pretty well and then the all-star break they fall apart they just don't have the depth in their pitching staff to stay up there yeah and grilly has been unconscious so far this year and uh but i, I don't know I, I think pittsburgh has some talent um I, I think they're i think they're capable of playing 500 ball this year which they've not done in over 20 years but uh they, they scare me i mean i i think from a reds perspective uh the pirates can can do some damage but uh, they're probably a starting pitcher away from or, or two from being, uh, you know, a dominant team. But I think they're a solid team. Well, the Reds are in New York tonight. What's uh, happening in that ball game? It's in the seventh inning. The Reds are hit four to three. Uh, Mets have the tying run at second base with one out. Uh, Rick Ann Keel is up, and Sean Marshall is is facing him. So there's two out in the uh, two out in the seventh inning. And, the, of course, the Reds, they've got what else coming up this week? Well, they uh, they finish the uh, road trip um, against New York, and then they come home for three games with Chicago, uh, and then they have the four-game series next week to split home-and-home home with the Indians. So that should be interesting. That should be. That's a weird setup, too. But anyway, the Indians, they've got a two-game set with Detroit tomorrow night and Wednesday night, and then we go to Boston. Thursday and Friday night, Saturday and Sunday afternoon, and then from Boston to Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. Mark, we're going to have a fun time next Monday night. <laughs> yeah, we're going to we're going to have a little bet on this. We well, we could. What what would you like? That steak dinner, double or nothing? No, I was thinking maybe three or four million dollars. Um, oh, okay. What'd you do? Win the the uh, Powerball lottery over the weekend yeah, or what? I was the guy. That's why I'm still doing this. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you next Monday night, Mark. All right, Dave, have a good one. 
And we'll talk to you again next Monday night at 9 o'clock here on Ultimate Sports Talk. Don't forget our show coming up on Thursday night here on the network, BBA Baseball Talk Show, where we'll talk with Garrett Wilson of the Los Angeles Angels about what's going on with Mike Sosha out there. Our thanks to you for listening tonight. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock, good night, everybody.